0: Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 65 of FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies in Brussels. My name is Vasilis Dousas. I'm the Senior International Relations Policy Advisor at FEPS, and for this episode, I'm particularly delighted to welcome Professor Bo Rothstein, who holds the August Ross Chair in Political Science at the University of Gothenburg. Professor Rothstein, welcome to the program. Thank you. We all thought, uh, very happy to have you on today's episode because you've written extensively on the issues of good government and governance, institutions, corruption. So we thought it interesting to focus this episode on the recent tragic events on Capitol Hill in the United States, but also on the mark they leave on American democracy. We all hoped for a more boring start 2021. But of course, the unprecedented uh, nature of some of these events, at least in living memory, uh, quickly put these hopes uh, to a rest. Now, let me start with that simple question. I'm sure you followed the events of last week. So how close to the precipice did we really get? How grave of a threat uh, to American democracy do you think last week's events on Capitol Hill uh, were? And I'm asking this because there have been some commentators, political commentators, who have tried to downplay their importance, the importance of what happened, uh, the importance of uh, what was allowed to happen. Uh, So what's your take on this?
1: I think it's important to see the events as sort of the escalation of what has been going on. For a long time, actually already during the election campaign in 2016. And in political science, um, there is a legendary scholar, he's no longer with us, Juan Linz, who studied democratic breakdowns during the 1930s and 1950s. And what is interesting and what has received a lot of attention is that Linz actually came up with three tests, what you should be looking for or be careful With in politics if you wanted to preserve democracy. One was if there was political leaders who did not take a very clear stand against political violence. The other was if there were political leaders who did not respect the rule of law and the democratic rights of their opponents. And the third one was if there were political leaders who did not clearly say that they would respect an election result even if they lost. And here you can see Trump and his followers, Make American Great Movement, clearly for a long time have been breaking these three rules again and again and again. And uh, we were not, of course, close to a coup d'etat in the United States, but it's very clear that democracy in the United States has been eroding during these four years and that this continues. There is a huge still support within the grassroots of the Republican Party for what happened. And one should also bear in mind that the manipulation of the elections through gerrymandering, through uh, making it more difficult for minorities to vote, has been going on a long time from the Republican Party, both before Trump and it is likely to continue. So, I don't think that the American democracy was on the verge of collapsing last week, but there, one should be very careful now and see there is a long-term erosion of democratic of the faith in democratic institutions among very broad segments of the American population. One should bear in mind that all the Trump lost. he got more than 11 million more votes this time.
0: And of course, I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of a famous quote by Olaf Palme, the former Swedish prime minister, who said that the rights of democracy are not reserved for a select group within society, the rights of all the people. And certainly that was not the predominant feeling across many swaths of the American population. So are you saying that we shouldn't have been surprised? So these images, these apocalyptic images, they might have not amounted to a coup d'etat, but it was still a mob attack against the US Capitol, presumably one of the most, uh, one of the safest buildings in one of the safest countries, incited by the president himself.
1: Well, we have a situation where 12 generals in the chief of staff found it necessary to write the public letter saying we are standing by the American constitution. I never thought I would experience such a thing. And of course, having an American president constantly lying about the election result, trying to persuade and to some extent force election officials to tamper with election results so that it would be in his favor. And standing on the streets of Washington inciting this violence, it's, it's unbelievable. It's an eternal stain on the American democracy. It will not go away.
0: So, building on that, you're talking about a culmination, you know, the peak of a trend line, if we want, if we want to put it this way. So, this was a profoundly serious threat. And you certainly talked about the three tests uh, where the president, the outgoing president, but also his administration woefully failed in passing. But if we try to analyze this trend line, perhaps I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as to what you think were the two, three key factors that made this trend line steeper? You know, what specific trends and dynamics were created or perhaps amplified or accelerated uh, by Trump that have amounted to this grave threat to American democracy that uh, we all painfully became aware of?
1: I think there are two things. One is the media situation where important social media companies and uh, also a number of important tv channels in the united states have been supporting the possibility of this president to come out with all those false accusations we come to a situation where how should i say standard <laughs> uh, important media have thought it necessary to actually silence the president in direct sending and this is of course very special i think media has uh, that they didn't close twitter facebook and so on didn't close him much much earlier you cannot sort of impartiality doesn't mean that there is you should be standing in the middle between what is patently false and what is true it means that you should actually use your knowledge to say, Is can this go on? Is it impartial to sort of let him continue with this enormous amounts of uh, false accusation? Then I think there is another thing which is important. A large part of the American population feel that the social contract has been broken. So they feel that they are paying taxes, they are sort of playing by the rules, but they don't get anything back to them. Even if it's, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, not in line with the facts, many working class and middle class Americans feel that they pay taxes, they play by the rule, but all the benefits go to various minority groups and special interests. And this is, of course, very dangerous if if the social contract between citizens and the government falls apart. Already in January 2016, the head of Gallup in United States, he wrote a piece saying, we have some new figures here. Unprecedented number of Americans now think that the federal government is seriously corrupt. And of course, what they mean by this is that they don't get the fair deal from the government. They think that minority groups and special interests groups get undue favors. And I think this is also a problem for the left that has sort of left the idea of universal policies and more and more go for identity politics. This is very dangerous because identity politics can sort of transform into what people feel is very unfair deals for them because they don't belong to the right group. So I think actually the left has some part of the blame that this situation has come about.
0: Many thanks. Certainly very poignant remarks because there is um, tremendous value in recognizing that our democracies, democracy, in the US, but also across Europe is only as strong as we make it. And over the last few years, and without wanting to downplay the importance of external factors, external actors uh, to interfere with our democracies, some of the most damning elements in the democratic backsliding we've observed in our societies have been the outcome of our own democratic failures. And you suddenly... Uh, referred to two important aspects of that. uh, The lack of appropriate uh, oversight of uh, social media, their chronic uh, inability to enforce something tougher. uh, So them being too complacent or lenient for far too long, which made the decisions that have been taken over the last uh, few days uh, seem far too harsh to some. And this overall willingness to trivialize the lack of truth, uh, which ended up in us all being numb to its utter disregard. And of course, where you talked about the inequality that has been uh, deeply rooted in our societies. So taking all of this into account, the challenge for the incoming administration, the Biden administration is quite profound, perhaps as profound as the threat by the Trump administration was, if not more. But if democracy was on the ballot and many in the Biden camp in the election campaign certainly uh, wanted to portray this election as being such. So if democracy was on the ballot and Biden won, is it going to be easy for this incoming administration to somehow correct the damage done over the past four years and stop the negative trend line that we uh, described, which culminated in this momentous assault on democratic institutions. And I'm only asking this also because this assault on democratic institutions over the past few years has been aided and abetted by one of the two political parties in the US, the Republican Party, or at least many people within that party.
1: Well, the incoming administration has an unusually good window of of opportunity during the at least the coming two years, because they have the power of the president, and both the Senate and the House of Representatives, which is quite unusual in the United States. And it's utterly important that they use this in order to strengthen what I call the social contract between citizens and the state. I also think it's, for me, it's very paradoxical. I'm a political scientist, and the most respected, talented, cited profession in political science are from the United States. They have all the best scholars, all the dominating scholars. They own the discipline. Once in a while, people from the outside like me are allowed in, but it's it's, it's a tough branch. At the same time, we have this complete misunderstanding of what democracy is about among so many Americans. And I was for uh, three years a member of the uh, governing board of the American Political Science Association as the only European there. They wanted one European. And I tried to persuade my colleagues that we had to start a discussion. What is the political science profession doing? And it's not only political science. It's the same in, in many other disciplines. That is so dominating. But we still see this complete misunderstanding of what democracy can be about in such large parts of the American electorate. So one thing I think it's very important in the United States that they take a very close look at what is happening at their high schools when young people are taught what democracy is about. And one very important thing in democracy is, of course, that you cannot only see it as a interest struggle, you have also to understand that it's a public good or a common good. And the most important thing is, of course, that you respect to lose, that you do not sort of uh, tamper with the election results, that the impartiality of the election, free and fair elections, is the root of a democracy, and that the losing side has to accept that they lose. They cannot do what's happening now in the United States. So if I had a say in the United States, I would take a close look at what goes on in the teaching of civics in in their high schools, because there must be something fundamentally wrong about what they are doing.
0: I agree. I think an inward look on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, as far as uh, I'm concerned, is dearly needed. And indeed, unpacking some of the things that you shouldn't expect an incoming administration to focus on focus on restoring democracy within the U.S. um, is uh, perhaps a strange part of the agenda of the Biden administration, uh, but a very much necessary one. So I fully agree with what you said. But this is the situation in the U.S., and as I hinted uh, at, um, Europe is not absolved of some of these trend lines, you know, some of these uh, dynamics are very much present across the continent. And not just in the usual suspects, but we see um, fragments of that democratic backsliding festering in many of our societies. So, what lessons can we learn from what happened last week uh, in the US? What lessons can Europe learn from this? Because often you hear governments, parties in power, politicians, leaders. Speaking of the value of democracy in theoretical terms, and many times speaking of the value of democracy abroad, but perhaps they are very much willfully negligent of the severe problems of democracy within our own societies.
1: I think there is an opportunity now in Europe because there are, of course, very many bad things with the pandemic. But one thing that has happened is suddenly there is no lack of money. It seems like the government can spend and spend and spend in this situation. And where are all the monetarist economists now? I don't hear them anything. And I think one thing that we should do away with is this austerity politics and the move from universal social insurance system, universal... public policies from to more means tested and needs tested and things like that we have to preserve the social contract between citizens and the state and that is of course in my view the central thing in democracy is actually not so much democratic elections they are of course important but that's the notion of impartiality of sort of fairness in the institutions. What people react against and think of as corruption or malfeasance is various forms of favoritism. And favoritism comes very close to anything that smells, means testing and needs testing, because it's so difficult to do it in a way that people feel is in line with procedure fair. So not accepting this idea that we have to move away from Uh, universal public policies, universal social insurance system because we don't have money cannot be true because suddenly we have all the money we need in the world uh, to counter what has happened after the pandemic. So, I mean, there are tons of very sad things, all the people who have died and become ill from the pandemic, but it can also change what is the responsibility of governments and I mean, there is no one, I don't hear any economist saying, oh, the market will fix the pandemic. They are just gone. Suddenly, all the public choice, all the Chicago school economists, we don't hear them anymore. Everyone is looking at the state. Even the most right-wing economists are, are, are looking to the state. But it's important how this is done. And it's important that people understand that when people around the world, we can show this from our data, when they take a stand about if they're perceived that their government is legitimate. Yes, democratic rights are important. Yes, what they get from the system is important. But both these are far less important than what we call quality of government. That is the rule of law, control of corruption, and general fairness on the output side of the system. And and so we, we have to be very careful when we change this into more means test or needs test, because that comes with a high price when we look at the social contract, because that is a way of destroying a social contract. Lots of people turn away from governments now because they feel they don't get the fair treatment or a fair share.
0: I see. Uh, I completely agree. Acknowledging the tremendous tragedy the world over that the um, pandemic has caused, I think you're right in indicating or confirming that we have had a remarkable liberation of political action, free or relatively free from usual constraints, such as deficit or inflation considerations, debt creation issues or concerns, trepidations about market impact. And you're right in making the link between the opportunity that the moment uh, presents and how we can use this opportunity to actually better the social contact that our citizens have with our states, uh, with our governments. I also very much uh, welcome this because it is a dosage of optimism And I'm glad you brought it into our conversation at a time where uh, many things uh, feel the exact opposite of an optimistic scenario unfolding. One last question, uh, and I think on on an even more informal level, I think given your expertise, given your experience, and also given the, the content of our discussion, I was wondering if you have a book to recommend to our listeners that you think sort of encapsulates best the essence of what we discussed uh, the problems the challenges but perhaps also the opportunities and the solutions
1: yes i would recommend a book by two american colleagues uh, steven levitsky and daniel ziblatt the book is titled how democracies die and it's uh, it's written for a general audience it's not uh, sort of with this endless academic jargon and they have a very very important message uh, they refer very clearly to this. I mentioned at the start of the interview the the lessons we should take from Juan Linz about the threats that we should be looking at when we try to preserve our democracies. How democracies dies, Levitsky and Sibla.
0: Many thanks. Um, and I think this is a, a great way to wrap up our discussion. Unfortunately, our time is up. So I would like to thank you, Professor uh, Rostein, for your time and your insights. Um, Many thanks indeed. Thank you. This was FEP's Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies in Brussels. You can find the series on all podcast platforms, and please make sure you subscribe. And as always, I will leave you with a quote. Uh, This particular quote concerns the element of truth that is so very necessary in restoring uh, the quality of our democracies. This is a quote that is rather mistakenly often attributed to Mark Twain, but I think in any case, it's very useful when thinking about how our democracy, our democracies can catch up with the demands of the moment. A lie can travel halfway through the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Many thanks to all for listening. Have an excellent afternoon.
1: Thank you for your attention. If you found our
0: conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTOols. More is yet to come, stay tuned!